Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Bud, as always, we'll thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana Hot Sauce. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. Longtime sponsor of the Nolcast, and ever so fortunate to be able to pair them with Tarpon Sellers. TarponSellers.com, coupon code Nolcast. Get your hands on one of the better Cabernets out there. Uh, also, really love the rosé that they have, Chardonnay, uh, great wine people. And happen to be really big Knoll fans as well. So uh, we'll we'll tip our hat to our two title sponsors there and uh, move into an zero and three show here, bud. So I think, despite the fact that Florida State is zero and three, we have a pretty interesting show lined up with you know one of the more uh, fun little ideas that we've come up with recently. So we'll see how that translates. Never know what uh, an idea in pre-show how it how it turns out once you put it on tape, so to say, but uh, oddly excited to jump into this podcast. And we, we did play um, Bishop Sycamore or Miami, and it turned out pretty well, except if she lost to Jackson, you know, Jacksonville State that weekend, so that was not great. But um, yeah, this should be a fun thing. I, I got to rewatch the game this morning, and uh, pretty disappointing. I got to tell you, in a weird way, surprised by the some of the down-to-down success they had defensively and then they had some defensive lapses there on third downs uh some and then they had two i thought pretty questionable penalties uh that swung that game now i do think wake forest would have won the game i think wake wake forest still wins the game by double digits right wake wake kind of shut it down in the second half there like they realized what they had they realized fsu was not able to really score the ball enough to, to threaten them so I don't think it changed the ultimate outcome of the game. Uh, but the personal foul on the sideline on Jones, the official is not in a position to call that play. He doesn't actually see what happens. I think that's pretty poor officiating there by him. And it extended a Wake Forest drive after FSU had done a pretty good job defending them. Running into the punter, okay. Roughing the punter, kind of sketchy on that one, man, to be honest. Uh, but you're not a team that's going to get the benefit of the doubt because you've really not played disciplined football uh, for a decent number of years now, unfortunately. And that was kind of one of the things I thought about in this game. They did outgain Wake on a per-play basis. That's an important measurement. Uh, it's not the be-all, end-all. That's why you need to look at kind of a total basket of uh, of stats here. The main thing why it's not super applicable in this game is, A, some of that's in garbage time obviously. Uh, B, Wake Forest ran 89 plays to FSU's 51. So even though you outgained them by about 1.4 yards per play, which is really nice on a per-play basis, uh, Wake Forest was able to convert third downs almost whenever it wanted to, <laughs> to do so, uh, which is not, not great. Um, they were just much better, much better on later downs. You know, your success rate on late downs was 29%. Theirs was 52. On the money downs, they were money, you were broke. On all downs, you actually were better. 45% to 43%, of course. Some of that, like I said, is Wake, uh, wake packing it in. You were much better throwing the football than they were. Uh, now, I think part of that, again, counts the garbage time stuff when you're flipping the ball out to the back and he's gaining like 12 yards and Wake's like, that's cool. Tick, 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 tick. 60 minutes sound here. Uh, but still, 56% passing success rate for you. 35% running the football. Um, 
And that includes sacks in the passing stats there. So you were much more effective throwing the ball in this game on a down-and-down basis. Wake, 44 and 42, so pretty even there. Which is interesting because I feel like in the first half, FSU did a hell of a job stopping the run. And in the second half, uh, Wake was able to pop off some successful run plays there. Going over some other things, obviously, you know, Wake's defense, the stop rate, pretty solid, 71%, and, uh, and FSU only 29%. We, we, we do start to see some real separation there. Five turnovers, however, uh, is really where this thing swung, I think. Um, that's huge. That gave Wake short fields for a lot of the day, and they were able to take advantage of that and, uh, and keep FSU pinned in its own end. Uh, so that's, you know, that's not great. Um, the Corbin fumble early in the game, actually, if you look at the win percentage change and the uh, EPA added or subtracted was the most important play on either side. Really? Surprising there. Yeah. That early in the game. It, hmm. Yeah. Okay. I think because if you look at the, like, the win probability graph, it just spikes to, to Wake Forest right, right there. You know? Um, and then, of course, the, uh, the succeeding uh, touchdown pass of 49 yards Basically, Wake never uh, never dipped back under um, under fifty percent to win the game from that point forward. So, I thought that was interesting on the on the graph front. There, big plays in the game. Obviously, fourth quarter, the computer doesn't know that FSU wasn't really going to come back and win this. But Mackenzie Milton uh, running for no gain and fumbling down there by the goal line that was pretty painful. It was first and goal, <laughs> so. That's you know because your 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 expected points there is so high. If you fumble on first and goal, that's always going to be one of the huge plays in the game. Um, Mackenzie Milton not converting fourth and two at the Wake Eleven obviously was the uh, uh, the other really big impactful play in this game from what the computer sees. But obviously there there were more. Um, but Wake didn't have a ton of like huge explosive plays. They had a good number of sort of medium. Explosive plays, if you will. Yeah. Anyway, uh, FSU, 46% of their runs were stopped for two or fewer yards in this game. That's not, that's not great. Wake Forest, 33%, which you know, still uh, 0% success rate on, 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 uh, on power runs, which is basically not the, not the play is not power. We're talking about like short yardage stuff. So 0% there. Why do they run the Wildcat? My guess is that's part of it. Do I like the Wildcat? Not really. Um, but yeah, they they got they got whipped on short yardage. That was kind of it. Plays per drive. Wake averaged three more plays per drive. I think that's kind of misleading. If you look at what happened through the first three quarters, I bet you that split is even even greater. FSU had a tremendous number of plays, man. That were they were just, they were three and out, two and out. In some cases, one and out. And Wake uh, Wake also outpunted you on the day. Other than that, it was great. Other than that, it was great. I, I was interested to hear some of that. I'm not trying to self congratulate, but that's kind of what I took away from from the game in real time, as far as the down to down play and then the Florida State just kind of self uh, you know self destructed at the most impactful moments of the game. What I'm referencing is the instant reaction podcast I did directly after the game. So. Uh, always interesting to hear if that's backed up in a in a little bit with more time and perspective as far as numbers go. You know, I, uh, there's certainly some decent things to take out of the game. Glad that the defensive effort was relatively high. Uh, nice to see a fourth down stop there in the fourth quarter. 
just a, an awful lot to work with. And, um, you know, when, when I say that, I, I don't think efforts, you know, necessarily a problem right now. It doesn't, it's not a absolution of, <laughs> of guilt or responsibility. It just more. Oh, you don't of, think they deserve a clap for not quitting yet? Right. After exactly. game three. Yes. This is not a, a, a clapping for not quitting podcast. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that we need to jump into uh, to figure out how you're 0-3. And really, look, let's be honest. Being 1-2 was not un- all that unexpected at this point. It's, it's last week's game that pisses me off the more and more that I sit here and look at it. I mean, there's, there's just no reason what transpired last weekend uh, should have happened. Uh, maybe if you play a little bit truer to, uh, to what we're talking about from a down-for-down perspective, you lose this game by seven points and you're 1-2, uh, with a close loss to Notre Dame and a game in which we all knew the game was going to be very important, but very losable at the same time in Wake Forest. Uh, to tie the two games together, it kind of makes me, and I said this in the instant reaction, and I'm, I'm all the more you know, buoyed in my belief, I, I don't know what the hell we're doing at the quarterback position, but we can get into this some with a with the coordinator you know, truth talk that we're about to have, and there's probably some talk there, but uh, the indecision and the kind of in you know, the decisions that don't seem to have a whole lot of, uh, you know, congruency uh, from decision to decision, how you play kids, how you prepare for a game, and what the hell you were doing last week uh, if you thought you were going to throw your way to a victory in the Jacksonville State game and then more or less hand Jordan the reins for the weight game. It just seems to be lacking foresight and, and a real true plan as to what we're trying to do on the offensive side of the ball, particularly at the quarterback position. I agree with you on that. I, I try to give the coaches the benefit of the doubt generally because you know it's hard to get to be the coach at FSU if you have no idea what you're doing. My thought is that Mike Norbell and his staff deserve a whole lot of the blame for losing to Jacksonville State. It's not to say zero percent of the blame goes on the players, but I mean obviously your job as a staff is to get the team ready to win the games they should win and to give them a, you know hopefully if you're paying them good money a chance to win some of the games that they shouldn't win. Now, of course, you're going to lose some that you should win. You're going to lose more of the ones that you shouldn't win. Jacksonville State, go back to it, was not one of those ones that you should, that you should lose. Like, you know, if Norvell eventually gets fired, people will point to that as they should because it, it's. It, well, I don't follow him around for his career. I mean, it's an inexcusable loss in the most, in the truest sense of the word. Obviously, Jordan had missed some practice that week, um, I believe, right? I mean, they, they all kind of run together now, but. Like, I think they wanted to treat that as kind of a passing scrimmage. And it's it, it bit him in the ass. Jimbo did this, by the way. The, the phrase passing scrimmage feels familiar to me, doesn't it? What, what game did he do that and almost lost it at the end? I'm trying to, it, it was early in his tenure as a head coach. And I'm, I'm trying to think what it was. Maybe he did lose it. But it was like very obvious that, what, like that was that, it was like the Jermaine Thomas 2010 year or 2011? Mm, I'm trying to think of what game that would be. They came out, they just tried to chuck the ball all over the place and they kept trying to throw it, throw it, throw it. And we knew that wasn't it. I, I'll, I'll go back and see if I can find it. I, I'm, I'm sure I wrote about it. But yeah, I, I, I don't want to harp on Jacksonville State that much anymore, but extremely impressed with the Notre Dame effort. Super, super unimpressed, obviously, by the Jacksonville State effort. Wake Forest effort. Exact quote. Hey, guys. Seriously, I don't know who the hell is going to play offensive line for them. If they don't have Smith and they don't have Scott, 
I think it's Wake Forest by 20 plus. If they don't have DLT, they don't have a chance. You and I both were like, mm-hmm. They, I mean, that's kind of... This game went score-wise how I thought it was going to go. It didn't play out exactly on the field how I thought it would go, but like the result was basically, if you tell me Robert Scott and Smith ain't in there, they don't have a chance to win an ACC game other than Syracuse, period. I thought Bavion played a decent game. He was not... Uh, and he got hurt early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bavion, one of, the, one of the better performances from from Big Chicken there. So good to see. And hopefully, you know, maybe you can slide him to guard as, as needed if Smith comes back and is able to contribute. But Somebody who is much more consistent than this team's results. I guess, I guess this team's results are very consistent that they lose every week. But uh, as far as the, our feelings about them, we're much more consistent in our feelings about the legendary home loans team. Congrats to Shannon for closing two more loans from loyal Nolcast listeners. 844-FSU-LOAN. It's 844-FSU-LOAN. The best loan guys in the business for my money. And hey, I've used them twice. So at least give them a shout. Proud supporters of the Nolcast. Shannon and Chad do a great job as well as the rest of the legendary team. Give them a call. 844-FSU-LOAN. You want to play... Coordinator real talk, press conference do-over, what the coaches can't say, whatever you want to call this game. You got a little green screen you're working for us or something like that? Oh, I'm changing my name. <laughs> Boom. Adam Fuller Truth. All right, man. So you have to be the real coordinator, and I'm going to be the real talk coordinator. All right. You're funny sometimes, dog. You're, you're, you really crack me up occasionally. I, I thought about this uh, <laughs> tonight when uh, um, I, was, I was reading my son his bedtime book. I was like, these are some creative names. We should, we should try No, this. You, came, you came in ready to fire. Yeah, Adam, the Fuller Truth, and Kenny Reelingham. Uh, this is exciting. All right, let's do it. <laughs> so what we're going to do is uh, press conference today message board fans and everybody basically ripped the coaches at the press conference. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking some of these answers are kind of dumb, but some of these answers are like, what are they really going to say? And Shane Beamer today kind of said the thing. Shane Beamer is the head coach of South Carolina. They got absolutely whipped by Georgia uh, in Athens over the weekend. And uh, the coach was like, so, so what does Georgia do schematically up front? You know, who the, the reporter, the reporter, the reporter was like, how come they were getting some push up front? Was that uh, the best part? Was just seeing Beamer's eyes response, just like, wait, wait, is this is this is this dude really asking me the question? I think he is, uh, but yeah, and, yeah. And Beamer's like, you could tell Beamer sitting there, he's thinking, he's like, should I make up some nonsense about the scheme they run? He's like, look, they, they got a great scheme, right? There's no doubt. George, Kirby Smart do a great job. Nick Saban tree defense, blah 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 blah. He's like, but guys. They've got a hundred five stars on that defense. They got a guy who's 340 in the middle who runs faster than, than anybody in this room. You know, and like they're they're super, super talented. The entire defense is fine. Anyway, if you're the head coach of South Carolina and you're facing Georgia, you can kind of say that. Uh, if you're the head coach of Florida State or coordinator at FSU, you really can't say that about Wake Forest, even if it's true as far as the talent mismatch. So it does lead to some hilarious answers in the press conference or just some stuff that we need to really read between the lines. I say we get started in this, man. So Ingram is going to uh, be the uh, be the real coordinator and I will be the keeping it real coordinator. And uh, all right, so first one we have up here is 
This is Adam Fuller, defense coordinator. And uh, transcription, by the way, by Brendan Sinone. Awesome job for him doing this of Knowles 24-7. Go ahead and give those guys a subscription and do a great job and are true pros throughout the process here, even with this terrible season that FSU was in. Uh, so, on explosive passes, hit me with that quote. As far as personnel, <clears throat> we've gone into it. We've rolled four corners. We've played a good amount of bodies there. In practice, we go one-on-one every day against our wideouts. We go against our scout guys, play the same coverages, and work at it. We work top of route drills. We work line of scrimmage releases. We do that stuff every day. Why does it happen on game day? Laps in technique. Laps in finish. As the person that calls defenses, you take things into accord. What are you getting out of our techniques that you're playing? What are the good things? Sometimes the good things don't always show up, and the bad things show up big. It's my job to look at the entirety and say, okay, are we asking these guys to do too much? Are we putting them in a position that they can't execute? The reason why we do it is because we do it and we practice it. We drill it. We feel good about it going into the game. In hindsight, when you look at it, it's an issue. If it's an issue, then it's something that needs to be addressed, even if it's not showing up in practice but showing up on Saturdays. It's all pieces of the puzzle, so you change one thing, it changes something else. But at the end of the day, our job is to keep them out of the end zone. If there's a play that's showing up that gets them into the end zone, we've got to address it with everything it takes. All right. Are you ready for the uh, fuller truth here, the, the real talk coordinator? Please. All right. Guys, cameras down, mics down. I wish my secondary gave a damn as far as the, vet, the veterans who are, are more talented players. You know, I wish they gave me consistent effort day to day and week to week. Um, I know I haven't always connected with them. And part of that's probably on me. But you know, I, I do need a little bit better buy-in from those guys. The young guys, we seem to be getting getting more buy-in. You saw Kevin Knowles get more snaps. You'll see more of Cheyenne Brown. Here's the other problem, though. I can't simulate in practice what these teams are going to do to us because our receivers suck. All right? We go against scout team. That's, that's one thing. But when we go against our ones, we go one-on-ones. Nobody beats my corners. Travis Jay is pancaking opposing receivers out there in fall camp. Our guys look like complete first-round picks against this receiver group. And so it is taking me a couple games to figure out what we have here because in practice, our weaknesses just don't get exposed because our receivers don't scare anybody. I, I'm trying to get this group to work more as a team. I'm trying to get them to understand and communicate better. Thought we had a couple busts in the secondary, not deep, deep, not deep ball bust, but some voids in some of the zone stuff we were playing, and in some some of these instances we were just getting beat off line of scrimmage on on jam attempts. I do think we could be a decent jam team over the course of the season. We need to continue to play aggressive press coverage, uh, but you know we're we're trying to figure it out on the fly, man. This this ain't easy, and. Uh, you know, having a team that just can't throw the ball at all be the one you scrimmage against throughout fall camp uh, is is making it to where I'm having to kind of use games as, as learning tools here, and that's that's costing me. Next explanation from one Adam Fuller on the long touchdown allowed. But on outside verticals, there are a lot of times that it's about getting the leverage back to help, and sometimes it's about knowing your help is on the sideline and making sure that you're using it. Excuse me. Sometimes it's about knowing your help is the sideline and making sure you're using it, getting your body in position to do it. Specifically to that one play, we gave up a super clean release. 
We tried to stem around a little bit, but with the corner late in the position, but with the corner late in position, not something we want him to do. But he jumped to a leverage, and the next thing you know, the guy took off on him. He played in catch-up mode for the play. Not good. Yeah, uh, so we're trying to confuse him a little bit there. Like like I said in uh, the actual answer, when I say we're trying to sim another guy, that means we're basically trying to move some people around pre-snap to try to confuse Wake Forest with the look. Uh, there could be some safety help coming there. Uh, however, with the release that we gave him being so clean, the safety just never going to have time to get there. Uh, and we, we just got absolutely smoked on the release. Again, I'm not seeing that in practice, right? In practice, I'm seeing our corners bury these receivers, but in games, uh, we're, we're not really seeing that. So that's really all I have on the defensive side. I thought Fuller's answers were pretty much straightforward. He largely owned these issues. I thought, you know, he's like, look, I got to do a better job coaching. We got we to keep trying stuff to find answers. He didn't say anything else, really, that I found. Look, it seemed like the fan base, for the most part, was okay, you know? Uh, with what Fuller said. They're not okay with Fuller, obviously, because they think he should be fired. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen there. His defense did give up a ridiculous play at the end uh, of the Jacksonville State game. And that's obviously on him and his staff. But uh, I don't know. I, I do think this is an issue, man. Like, for real, some of these looks they get from the offense in practice. Oh, it's undoubtedly an issue. It is uh, the issue of uh, of evaluating your defense alignment in the past three years. I mean, you just can't get an idea as to what you have. And in my opinion, you get guys who develop bad practice habits and think they're a whole hell of a lot better than they are uh, because of it. I mean, it's uh, it's very frustrating. I would say that you know the two guys personally that we were highest on coming into this year as far as what they could look like are probably the two corners. Mm-hmm. Certainly hasn't translated. My guy Brownlee's been beat a hell of a lot last year. I, I like Brownlee an awful lot, and certainly want what's best for both of those guys. You know, and Travis Jay could easily have three interceptions at this point. Just hasn't you know caught the one meaningless ball that hadn't brought down anything else. Uh, and it's it's been nothing but a really disappointing start to the season. And you know the safeties have been okay. There's a little bit more rotation there. Um, but the safeties have some of the same issues that are present with defense with the with the corners as well. I mean, you just need. I talked a little bit about youth movement and how you can do it in some places and you can at others uh, on this team. And you can only do youth movement when it's when you're like, you know, legitimately sitting down someone for a reason other than just hey the we lost our first three games and that means I got to do something else. Okay, that's not you, you can lose the locker room faster than you can get any kind of positive benefits down the road if you just go you know, telling people they're not playing anymore because of uh, certain things that have transpired that they don't have much to do with and certainly haven't contributed to. Uh, but you can, you know, snaps can be taken away in the secondary based off both play and probably buy-in uh, from the unit from a, a week-to-week perspective. Now, I do think the side of the ball and the side of the coordinator that our audience will be very interesting in hearing you play some uh, you know, some dropping some truth serum into the conversation is is when Mr. Kenny Reelingham uh, steps to the dais and uh, explains some of these things that he had to say today. Because a couple of them, honestly, from my perspective, are head scratchers and, uh, you know, maybe not what you say, uh, whether you're 0-3 or not. But, uh, hey, you know, uh, this program's biggest problems aren't questionable comments made by coordinators during during press conferences on Monday. I'll, I'll put it that way. So on the topic of surprise looks, this is uh, 
this is the longest one that we have. So be patient with me. I'll jump into it. When teams play like that, it comes down to one-on-ones, whether it's one-on-one in the box or a team comes out and man free, it's one-on-one in the box. It's one-on-one in the, on the perimeter. But it goes back to, if we aren't consistently going to win those, I've got to do a better job of helping our guys win those. Whether it's leverages, creating stacks, creating bunches, monitoring to help our guy with leverages, creating more pick routes, more influence runs so that we don't have to win at the point of attack as much. I'm, I'm reading these comments and getting, a, uh, getting intrigued by what you're going to say. I'll put it that way. There's a lot of coded language here. Um, more influence runs so we don't have to win at the at- point attack as much. Whatever those schemes that are weak, if we are struggling, I've got to put together a better plan to help our guys. I think too many times throughout the football game, I just said, go win. And I didn't help our guys and put them in the best position to be successful because that team didn't show to play man free or that team didn't show uh, them previously playing man free. They were about an 80% or an 8% man free team going into the game and everything they showed was quarter and pressure three and three under deep, four under three, <clears throat> four under three deep. And they're a pressure zone team. Basically his entire career, that's what his system is. Started with Mike Elko when he was there before he went to Notre Dame. Same with, uh, with Clark Lee. Is it Lee? Yeah, Clark Lee ran at Notre Dame. Uh, that's a soft cover four, cover three pressure defense lined up and played man free. So it was an adjustment, and we didn't have enough time to help our guys first man free in the run game and the pass to be successful. All right, guys, Kenny Rillingham here. Uh, camera's down, mic's down. Let's just let's just talk real fast. I think we did a pretty good job tricking Notre Dame, you know. And Jacksonville State, I'll wear that one. We did not do a very good job there. We overestimated our ability to flip the switch when it came down to it, and we were not able to execute uh, at all. Obviously, we were dealing with with you know Jordan being banged up and stuff, but that that was on me. I'm trying my damnedest along with Mike. It's really his offense, but he, he trusts me implicitly. I'm trying my damnedest to find solutions based on what we think teams are going to throw at us. It is really hard to get this group to score points, even against the looks we think we're going to get. Because, like like Kenny Dillingham said, if you can't win up front and you can't win up win one on one, I'm just having to try to trick people every single play. It's it's problematic. But let's talk about why a team that is primarily a quarters team with some three under pressures, you know, some some four under three deep pressure. But why is a team like that saying, "Hey, we're going to jump in. We're going to play man free against FSU all game." Well, number one, I think they wanted to do that because they feel fairly comfortable doing that against some of our RPO game, and they could have a spy on Jordan if he's in there. Number two, I think it's because he saw Jacksonville State, an FCS team could cover these receivers. And Notre Dame largely could cover the receivers. Ultimately, guys, man coverage is the superior coverage to play. We're just absolutely dead in the water out there. This boat's got a bunch of holes in it. right? I'm not going to go out there and and do a bunch of tricks. I got to try and trick people just to get this thing to shore. They know they can beat us one-on-one on the outside, and they know we can't block them on the inside with the current group we have. 
Hell, if you listen to Bud Elliott on the old cast, he basically nailed it. He said, hey, if Smith and Robert Scott don't play, expect Wake to win by 20-plus. I mean, that's a good show. You guys should listen to that. Just keeping it real. Um, that's what I do. I'm Kenny Reeling here. I, now, I think going forward, it is on me and Mike to anticipate that opposing teams will play us more manned up because they realize our receivers just suck. They realize Kansas's coaches were right about parchment. They realize Mackenzie Milton's damaged goods. And they realize, especially with the current offensive lineman we have in there, that we can't do it. Right? Like, it's just not going to happen. Um, but maybe, maybe if the defense totally balls out against one of, these, one of these ACC teams, if I can find a way to get us to 24 or something like that, maybe we get a defensive score. Maybe we can pull out one of these games that's not Syracuse. Yeah. Did it surprise me they went all man? Yeah. Were they right to do so? No doubt. It surprised us, but also the personnel matchups, they made the right evaluation. Wake Forest physically was much better than us in most positions on offense. That kind of speaks to the depth of our rebuild. Thank you, Mr. Reelingham. Uh, next topic is Florida State going away from the run game. Dillingham says, no, we just struggled. In all reality, we struggled blocking them. All of our explosive run were off miskeyed tosses, in which it's just a perimeter toss play. We struggled just blocking them. We struggled with a little bit of movement up front. We just struggled uh, with a little bit of movement. But you're exactly right. They blitzed us two times, all games, on base downs. They line up. They played man-free. And they said, man-to-man, play ball. So like I said, we have to do a better job of a staff of helping. Uh, we have to do a better job uh, as a staff of helping our guys win those matchups, helping those guys get when they get in those situations, scheming up more free plays where we don't always have to win. A lot of these explosive runs we've had in the game were of that category, were of influence pitches and stuff like that. So we have to do a better job of helping our guys when, they put, <clears throat> when they're put in plain and simple. It's man-free. It's a one-on-one game. I have to do a better job helping our guys. So, Kenny Rillingham here. Uh, guys, normally when I scheme up one-on-ones, my head coach tells me, good job. It's good to, it's good to scheme up one-on-ones. That's what we want. We want to scheme up one-on-ones in this offense built for playmakers and let our guys go do it. But here, scheming up one-on-ones doesn't get it done. Scheming up one-on-ones gets us shut down. I have to try to find a way to scheme up one-on-nones, which means I need to basically be like big brain Kenny Dillingham and just be a genius on, like literally have some kind of bust created in coverage or in run fits every down, if not multiple. Physically, we can't do it right now. You, you just we're, we're not able to, to do that. And you know, more concerning going forward, some of those influence pitches, teams will probably see that we actually hit a couple of those against Wake, which is us tricking them because they were, they were miskeyed and, and outgapped. And teams will probably start to slow play that a little bit. And those will not be as explosive. And they'll still win physically against us up front. Um, I, I'm going to be in the press conference. I got to say, I, I got to do a better job of, of scheming guys open. But normally, if you give us that much man free, any kind of decent team is going to find a way to score points against that. And we're just not it right now, especially at receiver, pass protection, and then quarterback. It's not like we really have one. Uh, who we can, who we can win with. Uh, I just, I have to do a better job 
somehow of pulling rabbits out of the hat consistently and trying to scheme up one-on-nuns. So our guys don't win one-on-one. Hell, ask Fuller, right? We don't win in practice against those DBs. Everybody else does in games. Not to play the role of Kenny Reelingham, but uh, I'll just reiterate the fact that your offensive coordinator is saying that basically your only explosive runs were on miskeyed plays. What he's saying is that the defense uh, misidentified either what you were doing or certain personnel uh, as you went about doing it. So you literally, like Bud referenced a second ago, you have to trick people to get any kind of uh, offensive momentum here at this point. And that's uh, <clears throat> that's a, a curious thing to see your offense coordinator say. All right, so trickeration. And by the way, like Bud here, you don't want him to come out and say what I just said as Kenny really. You want him, I, I think, either to either say nothing or just be kind of like, like just kind of say what he said. Now, if you don't know football, you're going to get really annoyed at it. And I, I, I think there is an argument for just not saying anything. But as a media member, I'm glad he actually speaks openly about this somewhat. And it's like, well, I got, it's like it's on me. I got to do a better job, you know, creating, basically tricking them. Um, and there's nothing wrong with tricking people. It's good to do it. It's just, it's problematic when it's your only thing you can go to right now. On the subject of trickeration. So for us, especially in the running game <laughs> this week, we struggled a little bit with direct runs. So we've got to get a little more. I don't want to say trickiness, because that's not what we're about. We still need to be able to run the ball at people, but we need to be a little more creative offensively to show explosive runs and spark runs early in games, like we had some of those creative misdirection runs in the second half, which were productive runs. We've got to do that earlier in games as an offensive staff, starting with myself. All right, Kenny Rillingham here. Uh, This is actually me patting myself on the back a little bit for saying what I said in the press conference. I pointed out we did have some of those nice runs in the second half which make the stats look better for the offense that I call. Uh, realistically, Wake Forest is, pl- is playing more pass uh, in, in the second half because they're, they're up multiple scores. And uh, like, is us popping runs against a team playing pass, is that consistent and repeatable going forward in situations where the opponents know we might actually run and the game is reasonably close? I don't know. That's kind of questionable. Uh, but clearly, Wake at that point was trying to... Uh, guard against us, throwing them the deep ball, and they were willing to give up uh, the run game somewhat. And of course, some of those uh, some of the swing screens that we ran there in the second half once uh, once Wake was up, up decent. But we were able to pad our stats some there and uh, hopefully give some real confidence to our kids, even if the efficacy may not be there going forward. But yeah, it's on me. I have to find ways to trick people. On the subject of rotating quarterbacks, well, they both have a unique skill set. They're both different players, and they both add value when they're on the field. So we did have a plan early to kind of go drive, drive, and then kind of roll with the hot hand from there. Uh, okay, so so we did have a plan early to kind of give both of them a drive and then kind of roll with the hot hand from there. Yeah, that's something we're going to continue to evaluate, continue to work through. Obviously, Jordan's availability the past few weeks uh, has been uh, up and down throughout practice. So we'll see how this week goes uh, because that'll have an effect on our thought process. All right, Kenny Rillingham here. We are still learning about this offense, unfortunately. We had a bad fall camp, right? There were days where basically just shut it down and run special teams because both McKenzie and Jordan were out. And it's not like the other two kids can really play at this point. Milton 
is not the player we hoped we could get when he transferred in. And uh, that's you know, disappointing. I don't think we made a bad decision to make it in making the call to go get him, but he's not really giving us what we need. Jordan, uh, again, not a full week of practice. Uh, didn't quit though, which is good, despite the rumors. And trying to figure out what we need to do here, you know, um, trying to see who can be better for us. I think after seeing the game, if I had any confidence that Jordan could stay healthy for more than a drive or two at a time. This offense probably operates best when, when it's him running the football all out and working with our, our backs. But I, I don't know, man. I don't know what we're doing right now. Just trying to figure something out, I guess. On short yardage plays, just understanding who we are. You look at week one, and we were successful in that situation. You know, we've had some injuries, some guys dinged up, and that kind of changes the course of who we are offensively. And I don't think I've done a good job in adapting to the personnel change week one through week three. Obviously, two weeks in a row, or two, two, re- <laughs> two weeks in a row being absolutely the worst in the country at third and one, fourth to one, uh, which we've always been a team that's going to be a direct run. We've always been a team that's going to run at you, not around you. And, then, and that's been our success. One of our strengths as an offense dating back to Arizona State for eight straight years. That's something the last two weeks that has been a struggle. We're going to have to adapt our plan to the guys that are on the football field. And we are going to have to do a better job as a staff, starting with myself, to put our guys in a position for them to succeed. Not just things we've done in the past that have been successful. The plan is, guys, last week it was why we were running the Wildcat. This week it's, it's why we were running McKenzie. I understand, obviously, that running McKenzie Milton is not the best option. That, that's probably on me. Um, now, the one time I do think he tries to just get up there and snap it quick and use his moxie and experience, so uh, that obviously uh, that didn't work. But I, I don't, I don't hate the thought of that. Uh, the fourth down call didn't work, and it's a results based business. And I will try to do better with that. Maybe that's a, that's a call that uh, we like if Jordan uh, is is in the game, but not McKenzie, and need to, be, need to be a little more conscious of what we call there in those situations based on the personnel that we have in. Uh, but as I mentioned. Uh, or as Kenny Dillingham mentioned here in the answer, there were some personnel that we were hoping to get back and we didn't get back. And uh, as a result of not having Smith and Robert Scott and the fact that DLT is obviously not himself, post-injury, uh, we're not able to run at people. And that is difficult when you have to trick people. Uh, in a real game, it's tough to trick people all the time. In the goal line situation, it's even tougher to trick people a little bit because you're in compressed space. And it's a, it's a more physical game. And I think if you just have some common sense here, you can see that we have struggled in the red zone a whole lot uh, over the last eight or nine quarters, and that is one of the reasons why. On the subject matter of missing Maurice Smith and Bavion, yes, that would be awesome, but the best situation for us is to transition uh, to, to the personnel that we have available right now. Obviously, it would be awesome, and we had that situation going into the year, having Mo and having Bavion be, be able to slide in and not having people uh, have to slide around all that much. That's an ideal situation, but you don't always have those luxuries in this game. Part of the game is availability and staying healthy. If we don't have healthy, if we don't get healthy, we have to do a better job as a staff utilizing the skill sets of the people on the field and not asking them to do what they struggle at, asking them to do things that they can succeed at. That's something I've got to do a better job of. All right, guys, Kenny Rillingham here again. Uh, I really struggled to get that answer with a straight face. Um, 
I mean, we, we were damn lucky that Babion came back in that game. Otherwise, we, we could have had seven or eight fumbles on snaps. Not that all the snaps were great, but like luckily we didn't have a whole lot of botched exchanges or uh, shotgun snaps over our heads. You know, when I said uh, we need to figure out uh, not asking them to do things they struggle at, well, they struggle at blocking, uh, pass blocking and run blocking uh, specifically. So I guess if you want to take away what they don't do very well, um, we could just punt on first down and that would not give them a, an opportunity to to mess up run blocking or pass blocking. But I mean, guys, come on. You have eyes. The dudes we have there out there right now as a group, like I think Atkins is doing a really good job for us overall, but but the injury luck in his position just absolutely sucks. It is what it is. He he thought he had like seven guys who could play. I don't think he was necessarily wrong there. Schrader with the with the you know the leg not coming back for a long time. Lucas kicked off the team or, or quit or whatever you want to go with there. DLT not the same player. Murray Smith out. Robert Scott out. I mean that's five. Five of your best. What eight? I think we're pretty confident in. That's tough. Some of these guys are not scholarship worthy players, and we're having to play them right now. Just plain and simple, like they. They not saying they're not FBS quality, but they're not ACC quality scholarship guys. Uh, they would not be in a two deep. Some of these other schools, you know, they're about one or two more classes away from uh, from really not having some of these depth issues. But unfortunately, we suffered some injuries at the spots that we just can't suffer. And our option is get the guys back, or keep getting our ass beat up front and losing a whole bunch of games. I, I there's not much I can do about that. Dillingham on game planning and gap schemes. I think offensively, when we know what to do, I think we can run gap schemes. I think we're efficient in the gap schemes. I think we're good on the perimeter, perimeter blocking. I think the naked game is something that we've that has been a positive for us. But in all, I wouldn't say right now. I don't think we have an identity. I didn't hear that line. That's tough. Uh, I think with all the shuffling or injuries for quarterbacks uh, or offensive line, Shuffling. I don't think we've established a true identity of what we are uh, or what we're good at because every week it could be something else. One week we're a lead at third and uh, third and short. We line up in the Wildcat and score versus Notre Dame. The next week we line up in the Wildcat versus Jackson State, Jacksonville State, and go 0 for 4. So the question is what we're figuring out. What is our identity? What are our strengths? And the change week to week based off the availability of our guys. We've got to do a good job, like I've said multiple times. I've got to do a bit better job of what we think these two guys are going to come back for the game and what our game can and what our game plan can be accordingly. Well, if they don't come back, okay, what do we do now? Because it's a completely different game plan without both of them in. And how do we prepare for both of our guys? And that's something that caught us this last week was verse was the plan versus the people. And we had a good plan, but when the people changed, we needed to adjust our plan, and I didn't do a good enough job of adjusting that, especially in the third and short situations. All right. Uh, you guys ever watched that show, Top Chef? Or what's the show? You guys know what I'm talking about. I'm a football coach, so I don't get to watch a lot of TV. But the show where they give you a basket of ingredients, and it's like a mystery basket, and then you got to make a... Uh, um, you got to make a, a meal and you're competing against somebody else to do it. You know what I'm talking about? Is that Top Chef? It's not. It's 
what's the name of that show, guys? Come on, Some, somebody's got everybody's got got smartphones here. Technology, Chopped. Right. Is that Chopped. it? Yeah. You guys ever watch Chopped? I feel like every day I go out to practice, I'm in I'm in some kind of football version of Chopped. It's like, all right, today your quarterback is this, and your offensive line is this, right? And uh, your receivers are, oh, we don't have any receivers today. Sorry. And uh, your cooking utensil today is a toaster, but it only has two settings, one and 10. So, all right. May the best chef win. 30 minutes are on the clock. Of course, we don't have an identity right now. We don't have any consistency of, about who's actually available to practice on a day-to-day basis. When's the last time we had a practice where all of our, or most of our offensive starters were there for more than two, three days in a row? We're trying to work through that. We're just trying to figure out anything that works right now. Like Developing an identity almost implies that we have some options to choose from. I, I don't know that we do. We're trying to find anything that can work. Guys, we're, we're trying to not go you know, 1 and 11, 2 and 10 here. I, I, I'd love to find an identity, but you know, like, like Kenny Dillingham said, what are our strengths? Uh, they change week to week based off availability of guys. Uh, that's, that's problematic. We ha- our, our strengths are occasionally tricking people, and we have two backs who run the ball pretty well, actually. Um, so I think that's probably on me to get those guys the ball even more and just see see what happens there. Uh, but I do think that this offense has some potential if it gets some blocking back and if these young receivers can come on. I mean, Parchment, whatever, but McClain, you know, he keeps getting more and more snaps. We keep being more pleased with him. We'll see what happens, but it, we definitely don't have an identity right now. Like our identity, we'd like just to, to have everybody show up to practice consistently. That would be a, a good step in creating an identity. Final one from uh, Coach Dillingham is on the subject of kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. I'm, I'm. I'm with you. I agree. Get everybody on the same page. But with that, there's just a lack of being able to help, right? It goes back to the conversation we just had. Are we going to be able to be simple, stupid, and everybody's going to be on the same page and go execute versus are we going to be, all right, so there's, there's this particular paragraph's a little bit tough in the, uh, in the audio translation. Uh, well, we're not going to be able to go out and help our guys as much win uh, without leverages, but we're not going to be able to scheme up as many uh, not necessarily man beaters, but schemed open guys if we keep it like that, especially with the drastic changes we've seen from defenses play us as opposed to how they played their opponents the, f- the few weeks previously. I think there is a balance of that, especially when you're up front. But I also think you have to put together the plan for what you think is going to be available to put your guys in the best position possible to be successful. That's what we did last week. But unfortunately, it didn't work out. Did you guys just hear anything that I have said this entire Keep It Real session? Like, are you serious? Every answer, I have literally said some version of physically, we can't block them and our receivers do not win one-on-ones at all. So we have to trick people. Keep it simple, stupid is basically the opposite of that. We need to be the most complex operation known to man to try to create wide open guys somehow to try to create coverage busts and run fit busts and missed assignments by the defense. That is our only goal right now. Physically, we don't have guys who can compete in the ACC. Uh, so I would say like that question is terrible and literally should not be asked of me, K 
Kenny Rillingham because I've told you in seven or eight answers in a row that we're trying our damnedest to trick people here and it's just not working so far. So uh, I don't really think keeping it super simple unless you guys are just talking about playing on PlayStation and then we'll just turn injuries off. And if we turn injuries off, well, we can't go back in time and turn Milton's injury off, obviously. So like, let's just focus on the 2021 season. We're going to turn Jordan Travis's injuries off so that we can just run him 20 times a game and then we'll just run the ball about 60 times a game, throw some play action off it, and uh, and see if that's enough to get us maybe to three or four wins this year uh, and, and pick off some of these ACC teams that aren't looking that great. But yeah, keep it simple stupid is really not, not a great option for us right now, in my opinion. All right. That will bring an end to our uh, coordinator interpretation or whatever you want to call it. Uh, that, was, uh, that was fun. I particularly enjoyed the Dillingham part of that. Look, you're just not, you know, when you're 0-3 and you're standing up as a coordinator, there's not going to be a whole lot that you say that doesn't get, you know, picked apart or criticized. So um, I think it's it's fair to maybe give a, a little bit more of a nuanced look at what the coordinators are actually maybe trying to say in their answers and the reality of the situation that they're having to work with. Uh, you know, nonetheless, both of these guys, as all of Florida State staff has, woefully underperformed so far and hopefully uh you know they'll be able to find a couple of those games on the schedule to grab wins in which uh at this point it's hard for us to hard for us to find them out there but uh no i think that was informative and uh i'm glad we did that and it's a little something unique you know when there's a 42 other podcasts out there covering florida state football at this point it's good for us to do something that uh at least for a couple weeks you probably won't hear from somebody else. So uh, with that, we'll move to our listener questions. Before we do, we will thank our friends at Congruity. Uh, Matt Lewis and his team are uh, people that we're so excited to work with for a second year. Uh, Good people that we've had nothing but uh, exceptionally positive feedback from, both from those that have, uh, you know, chosen to work with them or those that have just reached out to try to see if it's a fit. I mean, if you are someone that, uh, you know, is looking for help when it comes to payroll or your task with reporting to somebody uh, that's in charge of payroll and you need help, Congruity uh, is certainly worth the five to 10 minutes to figure out whether or not Matt Lewis and his team are a good fit, whether it be payroll, HR, or a variety of other things that they can do for your business. It is certainly worth uh, reaching out, uh, taking, you know, taking the temperature of the situation with Matt Lewis. If nothing else, you can complain about the receivers and DBs for five minutes and uh, you know, know that you did right by your business and also, uh, you know, by, uh, by your own self and got to talk a little bit of Florida State conversation in the meantime. Matt can be reached Knowles at congruityhr.com or just go to congruityhr.com to learn more about who they are and the services that they can offer you and your business. All right. Uh, you want to go to some listener questions now? Yeah, let's knock these listener questions out real quickly. Josh, longtime supporter of the Knollcast writes, I think we all understand that this is one of the least talented teams Florida State's had in decades. That being said, there's enough talent on this roster and prior season's rosters to the point the product on the field should not look the mess that it has been for four years now outside of the occasional outlier. Is this all coaching, or is there something systematically wrong with a program where the results now look the exact same under both of the post-Jumbo coaches? Well, I I think the issues have gone on since probably, like, what, 20... 15 internally um, through a variety of some mistakes that have been made. They've also had a good amount of bad luck, but I think most recently here, the issue is uh, 
people not understanding the magnitude of the rebuild and uh, maybe even including the staff at times. And I think the early signing period has, has kind of screwed these guys. You know, you get, what do they had five offensive coordinators in five years? No, it can't be right. Because obviously the, the same from last year, four and five years now. Yeah, it would be four and five if I'm doing this correctly. I think a lack of continuity uh, is the main thing there. And I, I'm sure Josh wants like some kind of genius answer here, but I just think this is going to take some time. You know, you're going to need to give Norvell four or five years here legitimately to get his players in there, to get this culture fully flipped. People don't want to hear that, obviously. But when you fired Willie, it was a risky decision. I'm not going to say it was the wrong decision because I understand why they did it. And I think that they were pretty justified in doing so. But you don't get to microwave or hit fast forward past the bad parts. If you fire a guy after 19 games, you are going to screw your roster over for quite a while. And that's where they are right now. Let's be clear about that. This roster was terrible. They took 12 transfers this year because they knew this roster sucked. Right? Like, that's why they did it. If they liked this roster, they wouldn't be out taking 12 transfers. And some of the transfers just didn't work out. That's on this staff. Um, it's also probably unrealistic to think that all 12 transfers you take are going to hit. Like right now, Milton, not a hit. Parchment, not a hit. Moore, not a hit. Uh, the Arkansas kid, I don't think a scholarship, so obviously not, not going to hold that one against them. Uh, Gibbons is in the starting lineup. Auburn running back, questionable decision, particularly if you if you think you like Treshawn as much as you do. Yeah, uh, in retrospect, that's that one's harder and harder to make sense of. Uh, you did a little bit better on the defensive side of the ball, but I agree. It's uh, some real questions about some of the work you did in the portal uh, as well. So, yeah, it's just going to take time, you know, and it, it's not going to be a fast thing. They're not going to be great, like, like a good team next year. They might might be able to get to an average team next year. We'll see. Marty writes, I always enjoy listening to you guys, even if we are 0-3. I live in North Carolina, so I was able to get to the game on Saturday. I could see firsthand how our play calling was questionable at times. With Travis looking like he's hurt and Milton not being able as and Milton not as athletic, why not throw Purdy in? What do we have to lose at this point? Purdy seems to be able to run a little bit and can throw as well. Has he not been great during practice? Is there uh is he just there to run? Is he just not there at this point? As always, I appreciate you guys and want to shout out Louisiana Hot Sauce and how it never lets me down. Good man, Marty. I love Louisiana Hot Sauce as much as Bud loves Jarvis Brownlee. Keep up the good work. I love Jarvis a little bit less over the last two weeks, but he's, he's still a guy <laughs> like I enjoy watching playing. Like he does play hard. Um, he's not he plays hard. He just he's he, made a lot he, more mistakes. He undoubtedly plays hard. He absolutely does. And I root for the kid. Obviously, I, I think he's he's had some some tough circumstances. Uh, obviously, but he's also been burnt recently. So, you know. I do not believe they can beat Syracuse with Purdy. Read into that what you will, based on what we've heard about from practice. I think if you if you go Purdy, do you go one and eleven? Maybe you can beat Syracuse. Maybe I'm off there. Like I just I don't think that he puts you in a position where you can win games. Now maybe they'll they'll find out something different, right? Like it's not like they've judged this team perfectly. Now I will say to Norvell's staff's credit, nobody on that staff I know was telling any of my booster buddies or any of my admin buddies or anything that they were going to go out and be a good team this year, right? We said many times in the preseason, do you think the staff would take six and six? Yes, no doubt. Yes, absolutely they would take six and six. Comment section. You guys are crazy. There's no way the staff's shooting six and six. No, you guys listen to what I'm saying here. Not saying that they that they 
want six and six. Like that they that's where they want to stop. If you guaranteed them six and six, would they take it? Yeah, because the roster just can't compete at some spots. It's just not there. Uh, especially if you get some injuries, which they've they've had them at the spots they can't afford to have them at. Um, so to their credit on that, yeah. Do, if you play if you play Purdy and he plays like like you think he will play, is it basically just a huge signal to Duffy that you're coming in here to start next year? I mean, like, is that something you you know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I think maybe you could work Purdy situationally into some packages. You know, if you wanted if you wanted to run him in a wildcat package or something like that, I'd be fine with it. But but look, there there ain't some great option that they're just keeping on the sidelines for fun. Purdy's been your third best quarterback. You know, at times he's been kind of in line with where Milton is in practice, um, and at times he hasn't been. I can I can understand everybody always clamors for the, the you know the quantity or the entity that they don't know, um, and even more magnified and true when you come to the subject matter of quarterbacks. But yeah, no, I don't think. Um, that that's necessarily there. Uh, as far as the play calling being questionable, I will say there was one thing that stood out to me, Bud, uh, that we haven't talked about otherwise in like the coordinator conversation and stuff. And it, and it goes back to some of the incongruency. There was a there was a possession. I believe it was in the third quarter. I texted this uh, to you and a couple other friend of ours. It was like a third and two play, and you call a uh, third, maybe third and three. And you call what is a fairly risky pass play because any pass play with this offensive line is fairly risky. And you end up taking like a six or seven yard sack and you turn third and two to four and nine. And for a coaching staff that is obviously displayed through the first two games that anything not inside your own 30 is four down territory. Uh, that was a little bit of a head scratcher to me, but I don't, you know, the subject matter of playing calls or, uh, you know, questioning uh, play calling is, is tough for us to do. I mean, Bud is a, exceptionally bright guy and I've been fortunate to learn enough ball over time that I'm confident in what I know and and uh can relate some to you know when I played high school football but I don't know more than these guys these guys are subject matter experts uh so I I don't get into a whole lot of play calling questioning unless it's just something that is you know totally kind of again what I've said throughout this podcast incongruent with what you've either showed displayed or spoken of what you wanted to be previously. So a couple of things that were questionable there, Marty, I agree. I think that's fair. Um, if you ask the staff why they did that, I'm sure they will tell you like, look, we are trying to create an explosive play. Uh, and if we had not been sacked, we would have gone forward on fourth down would be my guess, you know, and I, I, I can understand that now. Like Igor said, it does, it does have quite a bit of risk, right? Um, because you can't pass protect. Think about who's actually in the game there. Maybe need to focus on just trying to get the first down twice. Um, so I I totally understand your criticism. I actually think I agree with it in, in, in that case. Although they are just basically trying to create shot plays and explosives at this point. I mean, they, they, they don't think they can drive the field. They had fewer penalties this week, which is good, I guess. Um, to that end, I, I want to make one comment uh, that that I'm hearing out there. I'm certainly not, you know, Jordan Travis PR guy or whatever else, but... Uh, I don't think McKenzie makes that throw that Travis did for the one play touchdown. I mean, I, I so my, my point is, is that when people say, oh, well, if Jordan's out there and he's not running, then he doesn't give you anything. Uh, yeah, there's some situations in the passing game, actually, that he does that you just don't. I mean, I'm not not taking shots at a guy, but if you look at the balls that McKenzie Milton has thrown, anything more than 25, 30 yards downfield is is kind of a wing and a prayer at this point. So. Yeah, uh, Jordan Travis vertically allows you to stretch the field in a manner 
uh, that that Milton does not. We got a, we got a question about in-breaking routes and wanting to throw more slants and more in-breaking routes. If you were the opposing defensive coordinator, right? So I forgot Wake's DC's name. If you see McKenzie Milton in the game, and you've seen him throw these like slow as hell passes on bubble screens that take forever to get there, and everything outside everything outside the hash marks just feels like it is taking forever and a day to get there. You're not allowing him to throw the ball over the middle of the field, right? Like you're you're saying, okay, McKenzie Milton, can you throw the ball outside outside the hashes? That's why we haven't seen more of those. I think when Dillingham is talking about playing man free, they're probably playing a decent bit of robber in that as well. You know, having somebody in the middle of the field there, in addition to the man coverage, who is going to dissuade you from throwing the ball in the middle of the field, and the right play is to throw it outside the sticks, which of course Jordan did on that touchdown play. Uh, on, on the deep one, which, by the way, they schemed up really nicely. They just need to do that much more often during the game, which is easier said than done. Like, hey guys, scheme up the wide open touchdown play. That is what we look. That's what we're looking for here. Okay, now that you've seen it, do it over and over again. Um, but sorry, I, I didn't put that question in the notes. We, I, I got that. I think it was on Twitter or maybe email. But um, like, why don't they throw the ball in the middle of the field? I think because defenses say, hey, we don't trust you guys to throw the ball. Outside, so we're not going to give you the easier throw over the middle. Uh, next question comes from Carrie, a uh, longtime Nolcast supporter and uh, Patreon member. Again, you can, if you're interested in supporting the show outside of just listening or sharing it on social media, uh, you can go to patreon.com backslash Nolcast. Uh, Carrie's question reads as following I have a question and I'd love to hear a take. I've seen some comments from Florida State Twitter that if Jimbo was still our head coach, we wouldn't be here. From what I know, it wasn't all about the money and lack of facilities that made him leave. Is there any scenario that would have kept Jimbo at Florida State? It seems like an easy out for frustrated Noel fans. Uh, these rose-colored glasses and revisionist history are starting to get old. A scenario that's within FSU's control? No. There's a lot of stuff that was completely unrelated to the job um, that was going on at that time. Personal issues, that type of thing. So no. Now, FSU didn't help the situation. Jimbo certainly didn't help the situation internally with how he treated people, how he handled relationships. And yeah, so no, I, I don't think so. And I don't think he was going to succeed had he stayed in Tallahassee personally. No, I mean, I, I do think we were trending in a per- particular direction. Uh, I do think that, I certainly hope Florida State learns its lesson here, that it is, you know, money up front frequently ends up saving you money uh, on having to go through what you've gone through over the last four or five years. And uh, if there's a head coach that needs a coordinator or whatever else in the future, um, I realize that you can't just press the easy button and have millions of dollars pop up into a bank account. Uh, But frequently investing in the program, while painful in the short term, saves you a lot of long-term pain and even more money that has to be spent trying to correct the problem. So, Like if if, if Norvell decides that Fuller's not the guy this year. Right. I mean, we're, we're an hour in. We can talk about this. If he's like, hey, he doesn't relate to our players very well. I want to go out and get somebody who I think will. They need to spend up. Need to spend. Need to spend and probably going to have to pay a little bit of a premium because anybody that comes in knows that they may be out of a job within a year or so. So, But they had already spent pretty heavily on on coaches. Like, to be clear here. That is not the problem. They, I agree. They were, number, they were sixth in the country in coaching salary. Florida State's uh, reputation for being... Uh, hesitant to break out the checkbook is unearned when it comes to assistant coaching salaries. And that's something we've said for a long time. They, they, 
or a very competitive school, which also just makes it, yeah, which makes last weekend all the more painful. And even losing to Wake Forest, man, I, and this is part of me from anecdotal experience of going to college in that area of the country and dating a girl at Wake for a little period of time. The institutional importance of football, when you look at those two schools, is maddening uh, to think that you're not consistently beating Wake Forest right now. I mean, with how little they care, everything from board of trustees to students to alumni to everything else, and how much of a priority it is in Tallahassee, that's a uh, that's a tough situation. And they have a you know class size of like 2,500. That's a very very small school, so a toughie. This is not a great year to uh, have your opponents have be loaded up with super seniors, yeah. by the way, like given all the inconsistency you've had throughout fall camp and all the injuries you've had already. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of six and seven year players out there uh, this year. It's, it's pretty funny even. Um, I'm going to combine the next few questions because they're exceptionally similar. Uh, the first one comes from D. Mills, longtime listener. Can you guys touch on the AD search now that the president is placed? I believe his first step in getting things, I believe this to be the first step in getting things turned around big picture wise. Listener, uh, Twitter question, actually, I believe it was since 1993. Uh, question is, is Alfred more valuable at AD or head of Seminole boosters? He seems to have a plan and know how a modern college football program should run. We've had a- amateur hour and administration for so long. I feel like I would want him at AD uh, but perhaps he could garner more financial support uh, when we're going to need it most, given the current on-field product as remaining head of Seminole Boosters. I know that sounds backwards because he's currently in charge of fundraising, so help me understand if I'm off in that perspective. So when it comes to this whole conversation of athletic director, one, it's my firm belief that Michael Alford will not remain president of the Boosters, uh, you know, uh, as is for forever. Yeah, took the took the phrase right out of my mouth. You're going to need to decide whether or not you make him your athletic director, and you need to make that decision fairly quickly. Now, I know the subject matter of of Coburn and and what you do with him is a, is a little bit of a complicated one, and not particularly instantly easily resolved. But that's got to get dealt with. Either Alfred's your AD, or he's not. And I'm not trying to threaten anybody or, or you know, uh, warn anybody, but that that'll that will do some very deleterious have a very deleterious impact on your relationship with some boosters, in my opinion. Alfred is very well liked. He's done a very good job of creating relationships with boosters up and down uh, the booster kind of food chain, if you want to use that term, uh, somewhat to since '93's point. Uh, I believe it's a very valid one. I also believe that valid that you know Alfred would continue. Look, athletic directors are fundraisers as well. You don't stop doing that just because you because you become an AD. In my personal opinion, you need to make Mike Alfred your athletic director, and you need to do do it sooner than later. I agree. Uh, they need to figure out what they're going to do with Coburn. Right? Is he going to get Is he going to get his old spot back, um, or what's going to go on there? Another reason, by the way, why no, they're not going to fire Mike Norvell and hire Deion Sanders, uh, in addition to all the prime prep stuff and uh, the fact that what he's doing at Jackson State is completely not repeatable uh, at this level, uh, given how that roster has been constructed. But other than that, uh, you know, talking heads and stuff make it entirely likely that it happens. 
Not going to happen. They don't have an AD right now who would make a hiring and firing decision. That's one of the reasons why they really, really didn't want to fire Willie. In their opinion, he just kind of forced their hand given all the nonsense that was happening behind the scenes. It wasn't just the on-the-field stuff. I, I, I'm actually a pretty firm believer that they would not have fired him if it was just about the on-field stuff. And I don't mean anything like illegal behind the scenes, but like you know, the disorganization, the administration's evaluation of some of the people he brought with him as not being you know, qualified to be at this level and uh, the, the things that were happening behind the scenes that were more concerning than things that were happening on the field. Part of part of reason why Mike Norvell has job security right now is because you fired Willie as, as early as you did. You simply can't you can't do it again. And if if the tables were turned and Mike Norvell came in first and when they you know supposedly he was top candidate uh, three or four years ago for the job and they hired him and they let him go, uh, what seven games into a second season or whatever it was, and Willie was here and Willie started off with the record that he did. You're not firing Willie Taggart. You're not firing another. You can't. Uh, you think Jimmy Sexton has fun negotiating with you right now? Fire another head coach in year two and figure out how much money you're going to have to give the next guy in guaranteed dollars to even get somebody to entertain taking this job. You simply cannot fire back-to-back head coaches after two seasons or less than two seasons. Oh, you don't want to nuke the roster to like 20, 2027? <laughs> Uh, you remember when I had my friend on last year from Scotland, the the guy yes. that's kind of our sister podcast? I'll have to call him up again and be like, David, the window, it's gotten a lot larger. Uh, I need you to give us another talk. And this year we're talking probably six-year rebuild. So thanks. All right, final question of the night from longtime contributor Marat. Uh, great guy. Well, we frequently ask pretty interesting questions here. Uh, he says he sees three issues. One, Mike Norvell, very questionable communicator. I can't stand listening to his press conference pre and post game. Just listen to what he says, write it down and tell me if it makes any sense. He's no Bowden, Reagan or Obama. I like that Murat uh, references both sides of the political aisle there. That's good. I can't imagine that the players are able to follow his instructions too. He's inconsistent. Doesn't use hot hands when it comes to wide receivers or running backs. He doesn't support his running back after he fumbled the ball. I actually fully agree with you on that one. Any good coach would put the running back into the game uh, immediately after fumbling to support him. Three, he takes accountability in words, but he does not take responsibility and take his future and destiny to his own hands. Let me know if you agree. So, lot, lot said there. Terrible communicator. I can understand what you're saying. I don't believe he comes off to players as a terrible communicator, but um, if you're listening to a press conference, uh, yeah, there's there's times where there's a little bit of nervous energy there, and it doesn't, it's not free flowing. I'll also say, look, if you're zero and three, you could have, you know, you could have the biggest wordsmith in the world up there, and people are going to be really frustrated with the answers that he gives you and find a lot of faults in them. So, um, I'm not dismissing your point there, Murat, but that's just a a bad place to be. So inconsistent. Uh, this one, I'm I'm kind of in wholehearted agreement with you, and I mentioned in the in the instant reaction podcast. Real frustrated with some of the personnel decisions uh, at quarterback, at running back. Um, Treshawn Ward is a is a pretty damn good running back, and he goes a long time without seeing the ball. That makes me question what's going on. Jay Sean Corbin is a really good player. Who I'll tell you right now, if every player on the roster put in 75% of the work that Corbin did this summer, Florida State would probably be two and one. Okay. Corbin works his rear end off 
and he's as good of a program guy as there is. Really frustrated that he went as long as he did without carrying the ball after fumbling against Wake. In my opinion, bad move. Um, so in that, Marat, complete agreement with you. And number third, Bud, I'll let you comment on accountability in words, but not taking responsibility um, on his own. I, I, you know, Marat, I obviously consistent listener of the show. I'm not really sure what, I guess, what would he define that as? Um, what would he want to see as far as taking accountability in actions, but not words? I, I, I don't really know there. Like, I'm not trying to be sarcastic here. Uh, I'm sarcastic point at the time, but I don't really think I understand exactly what he's getting at here. Like, is there a specific thing here? Yeah, future and destiny. Like, is, does he want? Is, does he want to fire Fuller like right now and not wait till the end of the season? Uh, yeah, that part of like that kind of trailed off. I don't think that's uh, going to be. It's, it's, I don't think that's going to be a fix right now. You got anything else? I've been digging into this Louisville game. This is going to be annoying because we're actually really going to have to talk about it, how FSU might be able to win this. Okay, well that's good. That's good. Just to end the podcast on a on a high note, I cooked a brisket yesterday. I thought that turned out really well. I've uh, been watching a lot of Sopranos recently. It's one of my favorite things to do, and the movie's coming out in about a week and a half, so psyched for that. Um, got a new boning knife to work on said brisket, so highly two thumbs up there. That's, that's, those are things that I'm positive about right now. Do you know what I'm really positive about? What's that? Township. At noon, this week, come Saturday, come see us. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to drink some beers. Going to be watching FSU go beat Wake. It's going to be so much fun. Anyway, we will see you there at Township at noon. It's going to be a blast, man. I'm I'm super pumped. Absolutely. And there's people on Twitter like nobody's going to come to this. Other people on Twitter are like I'm going to be there. Yeah. So it's we're going to see you all there. Good and it's a good show. Come on, absolutely. It's Township. Why would you not want Thoroughly to Thoroughly look forward to it. By the way, not just at noon, Township, great place. Weather looks like it's going to be phenomenal. So we'll keep our fingers crossed for that and uh, hope to see as many of y'all out there this weekend. I don't think it'll be quite the atmosphere of Notre Dame. I know I'm going out on a limb to say that, but uh, legitimately. But the atmosphere conditions. Yes, had one of the better uh, days that I can remember. Uh, Notre Dame was an absolute blast. and. Look forward to seeing as many of y'all as possible at Township over the weekend. All right, buddy. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.